Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. All right, now, for real this time, you can open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, I want you to remember, as we get into this, a little bit of quick review. We, we have uh, been reading through 1 Corinthians for a number of weeks now. Paul is writing what is actually a very long letter. And uh, let me say this by way of introduction. This is kind of an intro to uh, at least uh, probably two more messages on the gifts of the Spirit. And uh, we probably won't get super far today. Probably be a short service today. I want it to be a short service today because it's a beautiful day today. And uh, much as I love you and much as I love the Word of God, wow, you know, still only have so many hours of daylight. We've got to get out and enjoy that fresh air. I'm going to turkey running and hiking today. I don't know about you guys. No. No, seriously. I just, there's, there's only so far I can go without getting into a place where it would be inconvenient to stop. So I want to make sure I make all these introductory sort of uh, lay some groundwork for our discussion about the gifts of the Spirit. But Paul, remember, didn't just sit down and write a couple of chapters about the gifts of the Spirit. He's in the middle of a long letter to the believers in Corinth. This is a church that he founded. This is a church that he stayed and lived with and worked with for a year and a half before he moved on down the road to do other things for the Lord. He knows these people. He has a vested interest in their success as a church, in their growth as individuals and families. And he uh, has referred to a letter that he received that was delivered to him that detailed some specific concerns about this church that contained specific questions the people in the church wanted to ask Paul, hey, what about this? Are we doing this right? Is there something different we need to be doing? And so in his response, which we have as 1 Corinthians, which uh, is probably his second letter to Corinth, actually, he is answering these questions. He's correcting some of the things that he's aware of, some things because of this letter, some things because of people who've spoken to him about what's going on in Corinth. All that to say, Paul has a pretty good picture, a pretty good handle on what the church in Corinth is like. He's not writing a random series of instructions. The things he is writing are addressed to these people because of where they are at in their faith journey at the time of this writing. All right? And he's answering these specific questions and he's making specific corrections, but he's doing it. He's framing all of these things in the larger context of church doctrine, Christian doctrine. Uh, one of the first things he addresses or in the early chapters of this letter is sectarianism, what we would call cliques, people separating themselves because of different, uh, different backgrounds, you know, and one uh, crazy example he gives is that they were arguing over who had the best baptism because some were baptized by this guy, some were baptized by this, by this other. And Paul's reminding them, you were all baptized by Christ, okay? That's the important thing. And then he writes about immorality. He writes especially about sexual immorality. He writes about lawsuits among believers. Uh, he goes back to the issue of sexual immorality and, and uh, focuses on the important truth that God has a claim on your body, not just on your spirit. Uh, and he talks about marriage and divorce. He writes about all these things. He writes about Christian liberty, which as, uh, as you remember, probably, 
he talked about in Romans, and which you'll see again he will address in Galatians and other, uh, other letters. And in when he's writing about Christian liberty, he's writing about the broader concern of living our lives as Christians in a manner to reach as many people as possible with the gospel. This is what Paul was talking about when he said, I'll become all things to all men that I might by all means win some. Uh, and not abusing your liberty, not, not uh, flaunting your liberty or exercising your liberty in a way that's going to cause somebody else to stumble, always preferring somebody else. Last week, we talked about, of all things, head coverings. <laughs> what did Paul, what does the Bible, what does the Lord have to say about head coverings and the Lord's Supper? All of that in chapter 11. Not going to do a review on that. If you're interested in hear what that was about and you missed it, get the CD or uh, download it. And now we come in this context to the to one of the most contentious passages in the New Testament, which is spiritual gifts or the gifts of the Spirit. Now, I think we have already at this point established that if you could use one word to describe the church at Corinth, that word would be carnal. They were believers, but they were not by and large mature believers. They still had a lot of their culture and the flesh and a number of other things mixed in with their Christianity. Uh, and so before we look at chapter 12, let's look at this. I, I go to, uh, you can keep your finger or one of your little ribbon bookmarks there in 1 Corinthians 12. But go back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and we'll read beginning in verse 4 where he writes, I thank my God always concerning you. I still hear pages turning, so I'll wait just a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly awaiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will confirm, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He acknowledges that they are rich in spiritual gifts already, even though he recognizes in the same sentence that they are not mature believers. They come short in no spiritual gift, but they have a long way to go before they are confirmed, solid, established in their faith. So this is a carnal group of believers that is rich in spiritual gifts. So let's get this straight right off the bat. For all the things that spiritual gifts signify, everything they mean and everything they accomplish in our midst, what they do not do is indicate spiritual maturity. The fact that somebody can flow easily in one or more of the gifts that we're going to look at does not mean that they are a mature believer. Okay? The gifts are good. The gifts, friends, are necessary. And they are of God and they are for today. But you do not have to be spiritually mature to operate in them. It is super important to understand this. Okay? 
for two reasons. One's pretty obvious. The less obvious one might be we should be encouraging young believers to be used in the gifts, including children. They do not have to reach a certain spiritual maturity level before they can flow in gifts of healing, for instance. The other thing, of course, and I think we've already kind of alluded to this, is don't be fooled into believing somebody is a mature believer and that they are worth following just because of an abundance of the manifestation of gifts in their ministry or their life. Okay? Now, now let's read the pertinent passage. And I do not think we'll get any further in the word itself today than these first 11 verses of chapter 12. But let's read them. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were, <coughs> excuse me, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. There they are. Those are the gifts of the Spirit. Now jot this down. I'll come back to this and remind you at the end, but something I want, I thought of it during this, at this stage of writing my notes. I'm actually giving you homework this week. Before next Sunday, I would like you to read chapters 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians as many times as you can or want to. Try to get it read, get that passage read once a day between now and Sunday, just because I want you to be familiar with it when I refer to these verses, because I'm not going to read all three chapters aloud next week, but I want to be able to refer to, hey, in chapter 13, verse this, and you'll know essentially what I'm talking about because you've read it 15 or 20 times uh, this, this coming week, right? Uh, I did a series on the gifts some time back, and I'm not going to do a full series on the gifts at this point in our teaching, but because this is a- an important And again, as I said, unfortunately, contentious issue. It deserves some clarification. And let me say this. I'm just going to put in a plug again. We have, uh, we live in a wonderful age where we have access to so many great study programs and study tools and Bible translations online. Uh, And I use those things. I use them regularly. I've got, you know, I, I access a lot of different Uh, commentaries and study tools, there are one or two that I use very, very regularly. And it's very handy to use them, for instance, on my iPad. Uh, I rarely bust out my big Strong's Concordance and plop that thing down on my desk. It's, It's much easier to use some of these electronic tools. As far as a Bible itself, though, 
as far as that goes, I just feel very strongly that we still need to know how to operate one of these things. All right? And that's, I'm not trying to get religious. I'm not trying to get legalistic. I'm not saying, hey, if you're reading your Bible on your iPad, you're wrong. I've done it. I'll continue to do it. And, if, and, 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 and man, if you're quick with using notes programs and highlights and all that stuff on your electronic, there's nothing wrong with that. But don't forget how to use one of these things. All right? Uh, man, when the power... And I, I joke about the zombie apocalypse and all this stuff. But you know, uh, this is something the power never goes out on. You don't have to recharge it. But you ought to know your way around it, okay? And it's easy. Write something in there, scribble something in there, make a mark. And uh, it's worth investing for you and for your kids in a good study Bible. And I'm going to put in a plug uh, for one, and there's nothing that is inherently superior about this one. It's it's one that I learned to love years ago. And uh, this is the uh, Spirit-Filled Life Bible. This is the new one. The new one. I pre I went looking for one because my, my old one was the, that I got as a gift when I entered full-time ministry. Mom and Dad got me one of these things, and it's falling apart. Would have fallen apart long ago if I didn't have so many backup Bibles that I use. And you, you, you generally preach out of a different Bible than the one I study from. Uh, but I decided I wanted a new one, and I went looking for one. And I don't know. I mean, I looked a lot of places. And the one I really wanted, the only copy I found available was like $700. It's like they were rare enough, and there were enough people looking. It was just a, a matter of supply and demand. Uh, but I went to a particular website. can't even remember the name of it now. But they were offering the new one. But it did, And this was back in, I don't know, February or March. Uh, so I clicked on it, and it's not available yet. So, but, I went, but you could go ahead and pre-order it. So this was kind of cool. I went ahead and pre-ordered it, and so I was surprised when it just came in the mail a couple weeks ago. So I got my brand-new Spirit-Filled Life Bible. This is the Spirit-Filled Life Bible. Uh, it, it, the general editor, the, the, the head guy of this is Jack Hayford. Many of you are familiar with him from Church on the Way out in Van Nuys. And uh, he's assembled a great team of scholars. There are great, a study Bible by definition is going to have study notes uh, highlighted uh, in the middle of the text. One of the new features is, is a, a feature called Praying the Word where there will be prayers that are uh, geared around what you're reading in Scripture. There is commentary down at the bottom of the page. Not sometimes as much as I would want, but that's an okay thing. There's plenty of commentary available other places. But you can come across the passage. You can go right down to the bottom, see what it says, uh, what he and his team have to say about these verses. And it's, a, it's, a, it's from a thoroughly charismatic perspective. All right? So it's a, it's a good, good study Bible. Uh, I would encourage you to get one. If you're going to invest in a Bible anyway, get one with a, with a, a good binding I would recommend either a genuine leather. I'm not even sure that's an option. I've, I've come to kind of appreciate the imitation level leather. They've got some really good ones now that are really durable. They're soft. I would go with one of those before I would go with bonded leather, which will crack and kind of disintegrate over the years. But before you get an upgrade in your uh, Comcast service or something like that, you might want to consider uh, spending 50 60 70 bucks on a really good Bible. Uh, you won't be sorry you did. Uh, and these notes, uh, I, I, I mention that because I'm just going to read to you at this point verbatim from Hayford's commentary on just the passage we just read where it lists the gifts. So bear with me as I, as I uh, read this. I think it's just excellent. And, and this isn't all I'm going to say about it, but I do want to share this with you. He said, these nine gifts specify the varied distribution necessary for a full manifestation of the Spirit. The word of wisdom is a spiritual utterance at a given moment through the Spirit, 
supernaturally disclosing the mind, purpose, and will of God as applied to a specific situation. The word of knowledge is a supernatural revelation of information pertaining to a person or an event given for a specific purpose, usually having to do with an immediate need. The gift of faith is a unique form of faith that goes beyond natural faith and saving faith. It supernaturally trusts and does not doubt with reference to the specific matters involved. Gifts of healings are those healings that God performs supernaturally by the Spirit. The plural suggests that there are many sicknesses and disease, that, that as there are many sicknesses and diseases, the gift is related to healings of many disorders. The working of miracles is a manifestation of power beyond the ordinary course of natural law. It is a divine enablement to do something that could not be done naturally. Prophecy is a divine disclosure on behalf of the Spirit, an edifying revelation of the Spirit for the moment, a sudden insight of the Spirit prompting exhortation or comfort. Discerning of spirits is the ability to discern the spirit world and especially to detect the true source of circumstances or motives of people. Different kinds of tongues is the gift of speaking supernaturally in a language not known to the individual. The plural allows different forms, possibly harmonizing the known spoken languages of Acts chapter 2, you remember that on the day of Pentecost, and the unknown transrational utterances in, Cor in, Cor in Corinthians designed particularly for praying and singing in the Spirit, mostly for private worship. The interpretation of tongues is the gift of rendering the transrational but not irrational message of the Spirit meaningful to others when exercised in public. It is not the translation of a foreign language. And note, none of the gifts require a public setting, although each may and should be welcomed in corporate gatherings. That is as fine and succinct an explanation and definition of the gifts as I could find anywhere. They could all be expanded on, you understand, but I think he does a good job of giving you, in a nutshell, what these different gifts and manifestations are. Now, I don't like to spend too much time on controversy for controversy's sake, but if you don't know it, the reason there is so much contention and division over this passage is because of the doctrine of cessationism, which is simply the, what it sounds like. That, yes, there were gifts, but there aren't any more. The gifts have ceased. We don't believe that. We are what we call continualists. That we believe the gifts, as, as were given, and as, were as given at Pentecost, and as described here in 1 Corinthians 12, are still in effect, are still in force, and are still available today. And the reason I want you to read, one of the reasons I want you to read chapters 12, 13, and 14 is because in, chap in chapter 13, we do read about these gifts ceasing. We see that God said these gifts will be done away with. The big question that I believe is also answered in chapter 13 is when has it happened yet? No true Bible-believing Christian disputes the fact that all of these gifts were given by God. The question, of course, is do these gifts continue? There are many people who believe that any modern-day manifestation of these gifts uh, are either fake or demonic. But it is interesting to me 
first of all, you know where I stand on that issue, right? You know where we stand as a church on that issue. There's no question. These aren't of demonic origin. They're not fake. They're real, and they're for today, and they're from God, right? Right? Okay, this is a, and this is a good thing. But it's interesting to me that the people who will claim that the gifts have ceased, and it's, and it's funny, almost. It would be, it would be funny if it, if it weren't so sad that the people who uh, take the cessationist position can get almost rabid in their attack or their, their defense of their position. It really turns into attack on uh, the charismatic position. I have, I have seen, thank God, I've seen some much more measured and reasoned responses from people, even if their conclusions are, are wildly different from mine. But it is also interesting that the people who refute the, continuation, uh, the continualist position, which is that the gifts are still in operation, will, if you press them on it, do you believe in healing? Well, yes. Of course I believe God can heal. Do you believe in miracles? Yes. I believe God still does miracles. Do you believe in faith? Yes. Of course I believe in faith. Then you start getting into uh, words of wisdom and words of knowledge. And they'll tell you they believe in those things too. They might define them somewhat differently. And they usually, I think the error that, that many people slip into is they'll say, they'll talk about God has given some the gift of wisdom or the gift of knowledge rather than a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. What is it that people dig their heels in about when it comes to the continuationist position? It's tongues. It's tongues, isn't it? I have, been, I have spoken to cessationist people who still lay hands on the sick. Now, they might not actually believe, as you and I do, for a healing. They might not be standing as firmly on a promise as you and I might. But they'll look at James and say, of course we're supposed to pray for the sick. So they believe all these things because God is God and he can do whatever he wants. Well, then why can't he gift somebody with tongues? Well, because that went out first century. Really? Why tongues of all things? You still believe God does miracles. Well, yeah, but not all the time. Didn't I? Didn't say he did it all the time. I'm not saying he makes us speak in tongues all the time. I'm saying, why can't, why is that? There are a couple of things that I can think of. And one's going to sound a little more conspiratorial, but I think it's absolutely correct. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what they are. Number one is this. I think the basic reason that a lot of people dig their heels in on that is it's just too weird for them. It's a tough one to defend. Uh, it's the thing we might get a little more self-conscious about if there's a guest in our midst and somebody comes up with a tongue are we looking to see what they think? It sounds funny. How do we defend that? And the problem with that is, the only, the only reason that's a problem is because a lot of us believe in it, but we don't know how to defend it. We don't have good, solid answers when people ask. I've told this story before, but it's worth telling again. This goes back many years ago uh, when I was working in, the, in receiving at Sam's, and there was a, a gal who worked in the office, and we were talking about church stuff. I don't even think I started the conversation. It was just something that had come up, and she said, I was in a church not too long ago, and I was having a good time. I'm liking and enjoying the music. And before the preacher got up, I'm thinking, man, this is a church I go to. Then somebody stood up and started speaking in tongues. 
I thought, oh, man, what, what is this about? And then the preacher got up like nothing happened and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. And I, so I said, you know what? Uh, I said, before you go, I said, we can talk about this all you want. I said, but before you go bashing it too much, you need to know that tongues is biblical. And she turned around just like that and said, I never said it wasn't in the Bible. What bothered me is nobody explained it to me. And you'll notice when there is a manifestation of the gifts here, either Pastor Mike or myself will usually say, now what you just saw or what you just heard was an example of the biblical gift of tongues, interpretation, word of knowledge, etc. We try to at least offer a quick biblical reference to what, has, what is taking place for the sake of the novice in our midst. All right? But we should all be able to say to somebody, even if we can't talk them into it, hey, look, you know, I understand you don't believe it. I understand maybe it strikes you as odd, but here's why I believe it. And it's not that complicated. The other reason I think it's so contentious is because I think the devil himself knows the power that's in it for you and me if we will cultivate the habit of praying in tongues. And he wants to dissuade us from doing that. The Bi- you will see, if you will do your homework this week, that there is power in it. And the other big thing, and I'm not trying to sway your reading in any way. I just, I, I, to me, it is so clear. I don't think, it's not like hidden. It's not like a bombshell. If you read these chapters in context, I think you'll see, number one, that you've read almost all of it already. Because it's referred to in sermons here, books here and there. But when you read them as they are written, I don't think you can come to any other conclusion that there is a difference, and it is a pretty clear difference, between the gift of tongues as a public utterance, as described here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and praying in tongues, as Paul describes in chapter 14. They are both tongues, they are both, God, they are both in a sense, a gift from God, but the gift, as Paul is describing it in chapter 12, is for public utterance and interpretation, and the the devotional gift in chapter 14 is available to all believers and is for your edification. The public gift is for the edification of the church. The praying in tongues is for your spiritual edification. What does that mean? That your spirit's being built up. It's in black and white. You can't miss that if you read, if you'll do your homework. But, and so... Does the devil know that? Does the devil read scripture? He does. Does he want us being built up spiritually? No, he doesn't. And so this is a nice place to stir the pot, and it's an easy thing to do. Oh, those weirdos, they're tongue talkers. Let's just dismiss them. Next thing you know, they talk you into speaking in tongues. Next, you'll be flopping on the floor and foaming at the mouth and doing all these other crazy things, right? And this is the other thing. And and this is where I got to be careful because... The kindest response I have when I read common, uh, commentaries or hear speakers that I might like if they're speaking about anything else, when they get on the subject and try to explain tongues from a cessationist position, the kindest response I'm usually capable is to roll my eyes. All right? <laughs> but I'm more likely to pound on the dashboard or scream at it or something like that. No, I'm not really. But, but I, do, I, I will tend to refer to them as... Uh, idiots or fools when it would be i think was it copeland years ago said he that god got on him he kept calling he kept calling people fools or something like that and god convicted him because you know he calls his brother a fool as a murderer he says so now i call them meatheads because that's the same thing as calling somebody carnally minded right 
fleshly-minded as a meathead. So there's all these meatheads out there. Anyway, what I've seen, even from guys that I respect, I respect their scholarship, I respect, mostly I respect their heart, but when they get on this issue, they jump directly from believing in tongues to a complete, ultra, I would say even hyper-Pentecostal experience. They even define tongues in their writings as what? Ecstatic utterances. Now, now just that phrase, ecstatic utterances, what image does that conjure up in your mind? Stand up and do that for the the congregation, Mom. (laughs) Seriously, that's exactly what I think. It's, It's not just speaking. It's something that involves my whole demeanor, doesn't it? Ecstasy, this state where I have lost control and I am possessed by the Spirit, and I'm not just speaking. It's not just what I'm saying. It's something about my whole experience in that moment. You look up a YouTube video. Watched one this morning just out of curiosity. And here's this well-spoken gentleman explaining why tongues isn't for today. And they show one video clip. And what do you think it is? You don't see who the preacher is. You just see his hand going, there it is, there it is. And a woman going, and she's babbling, cackling like a chicken and falling down. That's not speaking in tongues. Now, I'm not saying it necessarily wasn't God. But that's not what speaking in tongues is. But they tie all this together. And they want to tie it in with the fruit of the Spirit. Well, fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Why do, why do people who speak in tongues have to lose control? I haven't lost control. Another one of the pieces of this commentary, I didn't highlight it, so I'm not going to read it for you, but it has to do with the fact that all of these things, uh, the Holy Spirit manifests himself, that he leads us, And he moves upon us, but he does not force himself into the situation. Many of you can testify, even many of you who have operated in the gifts of the Spirit, you felt the Lord gave you a word, and so you came up and delivered it. How many of you, uh, and you don't need to raise your hand, but I want you to kind of think, or wink or nod, or something like that. How many of you have ever felt very strongly that God was uh, sharing something with you, leaning on you, moving you to share something, but you did not share it? Anybody besides me? Yeah. Now, wait a second. If that was God, how could you stop him? Right? Now, listen. It doesn't have to be even the, the spiritual gifts. How many of you have ever passed up an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody and then regretted it five minutes later or a day later? Do you think that might have been the Spirit of God? Was there any doubt in your mind that you should have shared Jesus? No, because we've got a written command to do that. But he didn't make you do it, did he? He won't make you do these things either. He will empower you to do it. He'll give you opportunities to do it, but he won't force you. Speaking in tongues is just like every other gift in this list. We have control over whether we yield to this or not. Now, what you have to see here, it's it's, it's also this. And we've got to be real careful with the argument from experience, but we can't ignore it either. Uh, Brad Dawson, my predecessor, God bless him and God rest his soul, uh, my predecessor at Farmer City, uh, he had a guy come up to him years and years ago to lay out the scholarly case against tongues. And he just looked at him and said, Brother, you got to me too late. You can't argue me out of this. I've already experienced it. And if the experience is real, that's a very solid thing. 
Now, now again, the danger is, I've heard the argument from experience. I heard a, I heard a Mormon say the same thing. You know, after she get argued out of ten solid points from a, from a philosophical standpoint, she'll just shrug her shoulders and say, well, I still know these things are true because the Spirit showed them to me. Well, okay, so it can kind of shut down the argument. Uh, but anyway, what you have to understand here is that what Paul is even addressing here is not the issue of are the gifts legitimate or are they proper. He's addressing the motive. Remember, he's addressing a carnal church that does not lack in the gifts. It's not his job to convince them the gifts are real. They absolutely are. It's also not his job to talk him out of them. There are some who've made, and it's, it's one of the worst cases, but unfortunately I've seen it made more than once by the cessationists. What Paul's whole point in writing this letter or writing this section of the letter is to tell them to stop doing these things. No, it wasn't. Absolutely wasn't. He just wants to make sure they're doing it right. That's his whole point. What he's addressing is their motive. He's addressing the issue of order in the assembly. Things should never be out of control. And he's addressing unity. This is why he ties in his teaching on the gifts of the Spirit with what? The body. We are all individually members of the body of Christ, and we are here to mutually support and build one another up. It comes down again in the context of 1 Corinthians that what he's writing about is the issue of loving your brothers and your sisters more than you love yourself, being more concerned with their welfare and their growth and your responsibilities than you are with your own rights and privileges. Right? That means two things. It means that despite what my pride and what my uh, own concern for my reputation might be urging me to do or not do, I will yield to the gifts of the Spirit when God lays something on me. Because it's for you. If you feel like... This is weird. I don't understand the point of it, but I think God's given me uh, a tongue that I'm supposed to share with the, the, the congregation. I'm supposed to get up and say something in tongues, but I'm afraid I'm going to look stupid. And God says, what? This isn't about you. This is because maybe, he's, and we'll get into the details of this next week, maybe I'm going to give you the interpretation while you're giving the tongue. Or maybe the, the tongue that you're giving now is going to prod that other person who I've given a word to. And that's going to come up. That word is going to serve as the interpretation to the tongue that I'm delivering through you. And this is for the congregation, not you. And that is connected to this other issue that Paul really does hammer in this. And I think it really is kind of at the core of what Paul's writing here. The Corinthians, because they were as a breed undisciplined, they weren't big on self-control. They weren't big on spiritual maturity. But one easy way for them to act spiritually mature was to what? Operate in the gifts. There was no shortage there. And I think one of the things Paul was correcting was they felt they were okay because, hey, if we weren't okay doctrinally on these other things, then how come we're seeing miracles? How come we're seeing healings? And look at all the tongues. And Paul's like, these things are of God, but there's still an order here. And this does not mean that you are spiritually mature. In fact, let me tell you why you're missing it. And, you, and the way you can see what he's talking about are the specific things he corrects. All right? 
let only two or three, two at the most three, if they're going to speak in tongues, and only if there's an interpreter. If there's no interpretation, then you tongue talkers, keep your mouth shut. And the picture that I get is this picture of uh, what uh, Tony Cook or Doug Jones, one of those crazy instructors at Rama, <laughs> two of the top teachers at Rama, referred to as competitive tongues. Somebody would stand up and give a tongue, and somebody else would stand up and, ah, oh yeah, well, and who's trying to sound more spiritual by talking in tongues longer or more eloquently or something like that. And Paul's like, that's not how this works at all. Everything you're speaking in tongues, it's worthless to the congregation unless it's interpreted. And if it's worthless to the congregation, it's worthless, period, because this isn't about you at all. Then he goes on to talk about love in chapter 13 and this is where i'm going next week and the preview is this and maybe many of you have heard me talk about this before the preview is this he's not like i'm going to talk about the spiritual gifts here and then i'm going to interrupt myself and talk about love for a chapter and then i'm going to get back on the spiritual gifts especially tongues and prophecy it is all part of one thought and it's very important to understand the love chapter in the context of the gifts of the spirit when he says, I show you a more excellent way, he's not saying, let me tell you something that's better than the gifts. He's saying, let me show you a better way of knowing whether or not you're doing this for the right reasons. And it's all about checking your love walk. When we talk about doing these things, exercising the gifts, flowing in the gifts, yielding to the gifts, there is a balance to this thing that we've already talked about. The first thing that I would encourage you is don't resist being used. We've talked more about tongues today, and we'll talk about the others a, a little more next week. Uh, but again, it's because tongues is kind of the contentious one. But a word of knowledge, you see these things working in harmony. Somebody who comes up, and if the word of knowledge is, God has revealed to me that somebody here is right this moment. You are, you've got an intense pain uh, in your right kidney, you've got, uh, you just received some horrible news or a bad diagnosis, something they have no way of knowing in the natural, and it's related, for instance, to your health. That's the kind of thing that, in my mind, is always going to be accompanied by the gift of healing, because God is not going to grant somebody or use somebody to manifest the gift of a word of knowledge in a moment like that, and then say, well, I'm not going to do anything about it. I just wanted you to know that I know about it. He's going to deal with it. So the gift of healing will often, I would say, always accompany the gift of the word of knowledge if the word of knowledge is about a physical ailment. Does that make sense? So we'll see these things. But at the end of the day, remember, this isn't about, ah, I want to bless you by giving you a word of knowledge and stand up in front of the con congregation so they can see how spiritual you are. I'm going to bless you by prophesying through you this morning so that everybody will know you're a prophet. That is never what the gifts are about. The gifts are, I have something for these people, and I'm giving it to them through you. Are you willing to be used? Will you humble yourself to be used in this fashion? One of the other things we will talk about either next week or the following week is, how do we, what's the practical outworking of that here at Living Word? How do we do that? All right, and that's maybe a little bit more to do with our policy than it is the Scripture, but I'll explain to you why it's not contrary to Scripture. So it's never about you. It's not for your glory. 
It's not for your pride. It is for the edification of the body. Okay, that's why we embrace it, but that's also why we don't fan the flames of it just in our own lives. The last thing I'll say about it before I move on to the altar call is this, that just because God used you to bring a gift, uh, to bring a word of knowledge does not mean that you are permanently granted that gift or exclusively granted that gift. My reading on this Again, in the context that Paul keeps emphasizing, it is for the edification and the meeting of needs in the body. And those needs change from time to time and moment to moment, week to week. Is that God is going to use somebody to manifest the gift that is needed at that moment. And I think that means that no matter how God has used me in the past, I want to be open and flexible enough to be used in any one of these. It's not a matter, well, he's got the gift of healing, she's got the gift of miracles, he's got the gift of tongues, she's got the gift of interpretations. It's no, today, so-and-so manifested with a word of knowledge. Next week, the same person might manifest a gift of healing. It's good. It's good because it, it, it can be fluid that way, and it means I could, God, oh, I was hoping to get the gift of healing, but instead he gave me tongues. No. <laughs> if I'm willing to bring forth a tongue, maybe he'll use me in healing next time or something else. Let's all be willing to flow in any of those things. And, again, on the other side of that, if you've got one of these gifts where you manifested a miracle or a gift of healing, don't start strutting around like, oh, you want your healing? I'm the guy. I'm the one God gave the hot hand. I've got the gift of healing because it ain't about you and it can quickly become about us if we think that these gifts are a permanent endowment they are distributed as the spirit wills and i believe that means moment to moment week to week but why does he do it at all because he loves you he loves me he loves us and the first thing i see in these gifts is they meet immediate needs He's a good, good father. He cares if you're sick. He cares if you're troubled. And he use you, you, you to meet the needs and speak to those needs because he loves us. And also because he has a plan for you as an individual, for you as a family, for us as a church. And by granting us these wonderful spiritual gifts, what does he do? He equips us. He builds us up and makes us more effective to accomplish that mission. Even your salvation is not all about you. He saved you so he could make you part of his body to preach the word and save somebody else. This is getting us to the life we were created for. It is a good life. It's an exciting life. It's an important life. It can be a trying life. There will be challenges. There will be persecution. That's a promise. But it's a life that is based on truth that God is who he claims to be as he revealed himself to be in the person of Jesus Christ. You cannot know this life without a conversion experience. There's more to salvation than conversion. Salvation has to do with the lordship of Jesus Christ being transformed into his image there is a process of sanctification but it starts with a birth a rebirth a decision to yield yourself 
to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It starts with a recognition that you need salvation. How do you know if you need it? If you're a human being, you need it. Everybody, of every one of us, the Bible tells us, everybody who was born was born a sinner. All of us are unrighteousness. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. The only way we can be declared righteous, the only way we can be qualified for the presence of God in our lives is to be washed clean by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.